In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. What happened? As we contemplated in the first meditation of this retreat, Jesus was crucified and died on the cross. On a human level, if, for, if his su- success or lack thereof would be evaluated by an outside consultant, they would say the Lord's efforts were the, the colossal failure and tragedy of the millennium. And so they're returning home to their home village of Emmaus, dejected. And so at least Emmaus, in this case, is the locus and symbol of despair. Later on, will be the symbol of conversion and transformation. But now it's a symbol of despair. They're leaving Jerusalem behind. They're cutting their losses, and they're returning home feeling deceived and failures, totally disillusioned and scarred for life. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Very simple statement of fact that covers layers and layers of profound meaning. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't notice his presence. In fact, he would be the very last person they would imagine being with them. Plus, they're not permitted to recognize him. He's glorified. But nevertheless, he is walking with them. He drew near to them, went with them. And simply speaking, our Lord Jesus Christ never leaves us alone. And though it may not feel that way, maybe it's not perceived that way, it's sort of the nature of suffering. The nature of suffering is one experiences being completely thrown off balance. It could be 
suffering at work. It could be an illness. It could be a terminal illness. It could be a relationship that just simply is not working and finds no solution. Family strife. And we experience that we don't have control over outcomes or the suffering itself at times cannot be relieved or resolved. And our good moments and painful moments, especially the painful ones, draw Jesus like a magnet. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the visible translation of God's infinite and transcendent love. He, Jesus, is the Word made flesh. He's the divine Word translated into human language, literally and symbolically. His humanity, as Pope Francis teaches, is the face of God. It's the face of mercy. That Thomas Aquinas also defines God himself as mercy. A living, infinite mercy. A living, infinite, self-giving love. And so the Lord does not abandon us ever. We don't see him. It's sort of a template of the spiritual life. Our relationship with God here on earth through Jesus Christ, as we pray in the liturgy, is a relationship, a real relationship, a real bond of love. But the medium is the medium of the light of faith. I don't see him directly. There's a reason why Jesus veiled the eyes of their hearts and souls to be able to perceive him. They did not recognize him, which is sort of the transition of the life of the apostles and the disciples. They see him, they don't see him, he appears, but they're not permitted to see him. Then he reveals himself to get them ready, as Jesus says, blessed are those who believe yet do not see. So the Lord is reminding you and me that just because an outcome is painful or has no solution or throws us off balance or makes us anxious or gets us, leads us to fear, it's not a supernaturally logical conclusion to draw that God is completely indifferent. This introduction to the walk to Emmaus and back to Jerusalem reminds me of how the Lord acts in daily life. I recall visiting a man terminally ill, slowly dying, and He was racked in pain. He was an active man, but uh, now bedridden, emaciated, tired, 
knows the end is near, on and on and on. I walk in, and I ask him, his name was Tom, Tom, how you doing? And he said, um, fantastic. And I said, oh, come on, Tom, you could level with me. He said, I am. And he started to cry. He said, I know you have the Eucharist with you. He said, I'm a man of faith, as you know, Father. He said, I indeed know that. What more do I want than Jesus making a house call, visiting me, and letting me, letting me be nourished by him? I mean, is there a luckier person than myself having the actual resurrected Christ underneath, hidden underneath the appearance of bread to visit me? And I've experienced the good example of a lot of people who suffer, how they experience in a very spectacular way how much God loves them. And that doesn't apply just to, we don't have to be terminally ill or going through some agonizing pain. I mean, I don't know, just to throw out a percentage, probably 95% of our difficulties, our crosses are very ordinary, probably predictable. It's crossed in itself to try to bring people back to God to spread the gospel takes effort, takes faith. And we may get the impression that we are banging our heads against the wall, that our spiritual efforts, our apostolic efforts, our evangelical efforts are futile. The culture, our society seems to be inimical towards the gospel. It seems to look at the gospel with hostility. But the Lord nevertheless is telling me and telling you I am walking with you. I cannot abandon you. There's one thing God cannot do is abandon me. When we're having difficulties, perhaps there's a little bit of a waiting period just to bring us to a deeper interior life. When we abandon ourselves, when we ask for help, the Lord makes his presence known. He's walking with me, and basically he's inviting me to speak with him, even though I don't immediately recognize him because I'm dealing with him, as St. Paul says, in shadows, through faith that goes beyond the natural light of reason. For a Christian who follows Christ, There's no such thing as a failure. 
There's no such thing as a futile effort. It may seem that way. An outside consultant with little faith may say, you're barking up the wrong tree. This is uh, a dead end. It's never a dead end. And he is giving us the meaning of, of suffering. And the one meaning is it's a medium as well to have a more profound experience, relationship with God through the resurrected Jesus. St. Maria had a similar experience of God's love. In fact, one of, of the basic tenets of his own spiritual legacy uh, it's, it's called divine filiation. That's a basic teaching of the church that the paschal mystery, the death and resurrection of Christ has made us children of God, daughters and sons of God. So this is not something peculiar to St. Maria's spirituality. It's the spirituality of every Christian. But what he brought to bear was the need to, and I don't mean emotionally, to have that sense, I'm loved by God. That notion, that perception, it's hard to articulate accurately. And to do that, we need to believe that he's walking with me. And we are invited to deal with the Christ who walks with us, but we don't recognize him with the light of reason or natural reason. And in seeking him, to put it in modern parlance, our seeking him has to reach a certain threshold. I don't mean to turn the spiritual life into a mathematical formula, but it has to reach a certain threshold. It's not a, a quick prayer. And then this sense of divine filiation kicks in under very painful circumstances at the eve of a terrible religious persecution in Spain that would cause a high toll in human life, especially among the clergy and the religious. Maybe the number I heard was 7,000. It's a lot of priests and religious in a country, maybe at that time, that had maybe 25 million people. It's equivalent to a number of major archdioceses in this country. Anyway... And the effort to preach that the layman, laywoman is called to evangelize the world through their own personal sanctity. They're called to be great saints. They're not called to a lesser sanctity than a religious, a nun, a monk, a friar, a priest, a bishop. 
And it was very hard. Lack of material means. So one problem after another. And on the heels of a prayer, he did in church, had some quiet time with the Lord, and reading his biography, that particular prayer was a toughie. It was dry. He was complaining to the Lord that the only reason he was in there, out of love for him, but it was hard for him to come up with spiritual affections and to focus or to feel consoled or gratified in this quiet time he was spending with our Lord. And then shortly thereafter, while on, on a train, on a trolley, this sense of being loved by God overwhelmed him. And uh, overwhelmed him so much, I guess you would call it, call it a, an intense charismatic moment where he started to use a Aramaic word that has never been translated into the vernacular. Jesus used that word in the agony of the garden, called, called his father Abba, which is the Aramaic word, probably the Hebrew word as well, for daddy or dad or papa. And he started to say Abba, Abba, Abba. He had to get off the trade because he was making a scene. And uh, he was trying to, if I got the story straight, to enter into alleyways where, you know, he wasn't drawing attention to himself. This grace didn't go away immediately. I mean, it never goes away, but the, the effect it had on his emotions and his psyche. And that stayed with him for the rest of his life. And he became a stickler. Uh, to, for that portion of his spirituality, and this is not just the spirituality of Saint Jose Maria, this is for public consumption, and it's derived from the gospel itself. Obviously, when Jesus' apostles were with him during Jesus' personal prayer. They were blown away by his prayer, by the intensity of his prayer, by his deep contemplation. And they said, Master, teach us to pray. I'm sure they knew how to pray somewhat before that. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, or say, Our Father. What does that mean? And we could kind of, you know, unwittingly gloss over that very important part of the Our Father. And basically Jesus says, when you pray, contemplate how much God loves you. Always begin that way. And your prayer of petition should begin with a plea for union with God. Might thy kingdom come, for example? What is the kingdom? It's the presence of Christ in a human soul, human heart. Thy will be done. In the oldest body of the New Testament, the oldest body of writing, uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, some speculate it's Corinthians. They're older than the gospel. Paul says, this is God's will for you. 
your sanctification. And it's interesting to note that's connected with God's love for us. Ask for the grace to be united with this fountain of love, this source of love. And again, who is Christ? Christ, in a human fashion, reveals what God thinks of me. And recreation, God created us to show forth his goodness, as the old catechism says, and incorporated by the present catechism, show forth his goodness. And so that we participate and share in his blissful, everlasting life and his happiness. God, in a madness of love, becomes part of our world. He leaves, I say it metaphorically, he leaves eternity and bursts into our world through his humanity to show us his love and to recreate us. And when does he when is that recreation accomplished? When our Lord says it is, it is accomplished when he reveals his love in such a poignant way, hanging on the cross. And basically he will tell, and I'll we'll elaborate on that later on into this walk. He will show his love in a most radical way by hanging on the cross, saying, this is what each one of you means to me. I'm God. I've died on the cross for you. Bearing in mind that the person is the divine person of the Son. He's not two persons. He's the Son of God who now has taken on a human nature. Why? To die on the cross and win us back and win us the grace to be not just images of God, that's a tall order in itself, but to actually be daughters and sons of God. That we are now empowered through the grace of God to live the life of Jesus Christ, to be grafted on to the life of Christ. And hence, maybe a thousand years before Christ came, in Psalm 34, the Holy Spirit says through the psalm writer, probably King David, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He also says in the same psalm previous to this, these verses, look to him and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. So, our Lord loves us. And we could even use that beautiful image of Francis Thompson 
in his celebrated work, poem called The Hound of Heaven. Uh, Francis' life had a bit to, lacked a bit to be desired, checkered past, his actions, even his attitude, rejected God, embraced sin, and at least he personally experienced God being the hound of heaven, running after him, not giving up on him. And so we ask the Lord in our prayer here for the faith to believe that he walks with me. And we also want to have the faith that we will perceive his presence as long as we don't shut the door in his face, as long as we believe that he walks with us. Just like the apostles or the disciples, they didn't have a clue. And we want to imitate them because they could have said, please, we don't want to talk to anybody. Uh, We don't want to talk to you. And they didn't. They spoke to that person whom they did not see. And the gospel continues. While, I'll read again. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And so the Lord is, what is he doing? He is saying, talk to me. Speak to me. I remember, you know, everybody has their own story. And so, you know, we can't cookie cut this experience of Christ approaching us. Each one is approached in a unique way, in a personal way, because holiness is personal. But I remember someone with serious problems didn't know what to do, didn't know who to turn to, was shared the her problem with a friend and the friend told this particular person this particular woman you should go to Eucharistic adoration and explain your problem to the Lord in the Holy Eucharist she could have said no I'm thinking of two cases or more this can't work do you have a self-help book or do you have a counselor or therapist they have their value I'm a believer in that as well we use all the human means possible but anyway she was uh, urged to go before the blessed sacrament habitually and did and what was her takeaway was her problem resolved I'm thinking of a couple of them, a couple of different individuals. No. 
they didn't get an answer to their immediate request. They had another, they got another answer. One experienced eventually that Jesus was very much at her side and was her friend. And energy gave gave her a lot of strength. In the other case, one of them had a an esteem, low esteem issue, given her background. Didn't expect it, just prayed for healing and all that. And, and she started to realize, little by little, I am real I am loved by God. I am special in the eyes of God. And so I think in any retreat before we examine our consciences and kind of identify the little barriers between us and good discipleship, we need to begin with this basic notion. God loves me. God wants me happy. Love and Loving a person and wanting their happiness are intimately linked. You could almost identify them. Loving someone doesn't mean you will someone's thrill or someone's or experience pleasure for its own sake, but fulfillment and happiness. And so God walks with us. And He even the meaning of suffering is revealed. It's a mystery. I would be lying to you if I said, you know, I know why you have this particular suffering or why I have this particular suffering. But I do know that. Our Lord says that uh, I will prune you so that you bear more fruit. What fruit? Well, that we enter more profoundly into the heart of Christ. And that the purpose of suffering, the main purpose, is that we have a deeper encounter with Christ, that we learn how to pray in a more meaningful way. And the Lord, I guess a, a sad moment, for him and his disciples, the last evening he would have, which we call the Last Supper. And this is, you know, at least indirectly related to our theme of prayer. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, in other words, seeks him out, embraces the teachings of Christ, prays with the gospel. He who keeps my commandments, and he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him in this life. Again, in shadows, but nevertheless. The Father, he's not, Jesus is not saying that the Father doesn't love us unless we keep his commandments. We will perceive the effects of his love. We will allow his love to be effective in our own lives. These thoughts of being loved by God prompted St. Maria during the years of the Spanish Civil War, not a, a very tough time for him personally and for the church in Spain, also for the history of Opus Dei. And at that time, he compiled this point, he or recorded this point, in the way, point four two five. 
to realize that you love me so much, my God, yet I haven't lost my mind. In Christ, we have every ideal, for he is king, he is love, he is God. And the resolution I want to formulate, or perhaps even the inclination I need to formulate is, I need to believe that he walks with me. I may not perceive his presence, but maybe he's closer than ever. And I need to respond by opening up my heart to him in prayer. We go to the Blessed Mother, the feminine expression of God's love for us. We ask for her maternal prayer of intercession so that we walk with her son, though we though we perceive he is not there, but we indeed want to believe that he walks with us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.